You know, when I was in seminary, um, during my time at Regent College, I spent three beautiful years in Vancouver. Uh, and during my seminary years as well, I learned a lot of things that have really impacted the course of my life and, uh, you know, about God, theology, and many other things about life. And it was during my time there that I was also introduced to something that would impact the rest of my life in a way that I never expected. I was introduced by a classmate to sriracha sauce. <laughs> now, I think we have a photo of it if you're not familiar with that. I think many of us can remember uh, the first time that we were introduced to this sauce, the perfect blend of spiciness and sweetness that you could pretty much put on anything. And uh, what I, you know, I did a little bit of uh, digging uh, on the uh, you know, fact-finding and the history of this, and I found out that the sauce is over 35 years old, and it brings in over $80 million per year in revenue, sells over 20 million bottles per year, and it's been growing ever since it got introduced to the public. It's been growing at an annual rate of 20% each year. Every year it sees 20% growth. You see it in every Asian restaurant. You've even seen it in some hot dog and hamburger shops. Uh, but here's the most shocking fact that I found out about this, is that this company has never spent even one cent on advertising. A global phenomenon, a, a product known throughout the world, has never advertised itself to the public. Yet the world knows it so well. How? One person introducing it to another, right? One person inviting another person to try it out. One person saying, hey, have you tried this before? If not, you should give it a try. Give it a try and your life may never be the same anymore. That's the power of an invitation. And that's what we want to look at today. We've seen what through products, how an invitation can change the trajectory of an item but we want to utilize the power of an invitation to change the trajectory of a life and their soul for all of eternity. You know, we've been going through the uh, book of John for our daily devotionals as a church uh, throughout this month in preparation for Easter Sunday. And as I was reading through John chapter 1, I was challenged and encouraged once again about the power of invitation, and I'd love for us to be challenged by it as we prepare for next weekend as well. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you. Uh, and keep your Bibles open to John chapter 1. Not all the verses that we're going to be looking at are found in your outlines or on the screen. And what I'd like to do today is look at the power of an invitation. And you can follow along with me in your outlines as well. There's a few things in particular that this passage from John 1.35 and following will show us about why our lives need to understand the power of invitation, especially in preparation for Easter Sunday. The first thing that we learn in our passage today is that those who know will show. And what I mean by that is those who truly know Christ will show Christ to others. We see earlier in uh, John chapter 1 that John has already told his people that I am not the Christ. As people were coming to him to be baptized, he's declaring, no, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the promised one. And then he told them later that he was the voice of one calling from the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 23. 
And then he says that my role was to be a preparer of people to encounter the real Jesus. And then he says in verse 29, Jesus, John looks at Jesus and declares, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look, there he is, Jesus. He is the one who can forgive all your sins. Look to him. And now let's look at our, the main thrust of our passage in verse 35 and following. It says, the next stage again, John was standing with two of his disciples, John's disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Once again, he is showing them over and over again when he sees Jesus. He is the one we are to behold. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So those who truly know Christ will show Christ to others. John the Baptist knew that Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. John knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he pointed his disciples to Jesus and then they followed Christ instead. That is our role too, to show Jesus to others. Those who know Jesus, those who know the one who brings healing and hope, forgiveness and restoration will gladly show this amazing Savior to others as well. Our heart cry is to be, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, we are to be arrows that point people to Christ. You see, praise is a pointer it points to and lifts up the object being praised. So if I were to say, oh man, you have to try this cookie dough ice cream at Smitten's Ice Cream Store in Santana Row, it's so good, that becomes a pointer to people. Right? They're drawn to it because they have heard a praise for it. Or if I were to say to you, oh my goodness, you need to see the movie War Room. It is one of the most powerful films on prayer that I've ever seen, and it will motivate you to pray. And I, I mean that. That is a powerful film. But as I praise that film, as I lift it up, it is going to draw people and draw attention to that film for other people to be interested in it. But we are created to praise, point people to, and lift up the name and the fame of Jesus Christ and his grace. Now let's look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So Jesus turns around and basically says to them, can I help you? And they reply, Rabbi or teacher, meaning they want to learn from him. Just as they were students of John before, now they want to be students of Jesus. Then they asked, where are you staying? which implies wanting to spend an extended time together with him. We want to be with you, Jesus, is what they say. And we need to remember as disciples, the word disciple means student or learner. And so we need to be a lifelong student and learner of Jesus as well as we seek to follow him, as we seek to get to know him, to also dwell daily with him. Then look at Jesus' reply in verse 39. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So Jesus invites them to come and spend time with him so that they can experience Christ 
the goodness of God found in Christ for themselves. Then they will be able to declare from their own hearts, behold the Lamb of God. As they experience and encounter Christ on their, on them, on their own, then they will be able to declare to others, taste and see that the Lord is good. So in preparation for Easter, I want to encourage us to dwell daily with him, enjoy him, know that he is good, and to show him to others. You know, the past several months, for some reason, God's been really burdening my heart uh, for Native Americans. You know, I don't know where that came from, but suddenly I became very burdened for them. You know, I've been praying and reading a lot about them and their history. And in the midst of reading several things, I came across a story, and it's a story, uh, her name is Miss Reside. She was the first female missionary to the Kiona Native peoples, which was in Oklahoma. And after she had been there for years learning the language, uh, loving the people, sharing the gospel with them, one by one, people within that people group started to come to Christ, including the chief. And as is custom for a lot of uh, native peoples, once they receive you into their fold, they will also give you a new name. And through that, they uh, named her Aimdeko. And the chief was explaining that name, saying that when we Kiowas uh, see anyone going down the wrong road, we will shout to them, Aimdeko, which means turn the other way because you're going the wrong way. And our sister came from a far off land and found us all going the wrong way of destruction and in great danger. She stood at the new road and called to us saying, turn this way and showed us to the way of life through this person, Jesus Christ. We are so thankful for Aimdeko. Those who know the way will show the way to others. So let us be an arrow to someone this Easter and show them the way to Jesus. Because those who know will show. Amen? But also, what we learn in this passage is that those who care will share. Those who care will share. So the motive for evangelism is always out of love. The reason why we gave, you know, we gave you candy invites to give to your friends is out of love for them and out of love for their souls for eternity. It is because those who care will share this life-saving message. God uses a variety of means to bring people to himself. Sometimes God will use a sermon. Sometimes God will use a movie like the Jesus film to bring many people, as he has done throughout the world, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And sometimes God will reveal himself in dreams and visions to people like in the Middle East. I have met quite a number of brothers and sisters in the Lord who became Christians because Jesus showed up in a dream or a vision individually to them. But the primary way that he chooses to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ is through relationships. It's through friendships. Look at John chapter 1, verse 40 and following. It says, one of the two heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found who? His own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew first 
goes to his brother and brings him to Jesus. Now let's look at verses 43 and following. The next day Jesus decides to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So next we see that Jesus finds Philip individually. So again, sometimes Jesus will reach, to, reach out to somebody and individually draw them to himself. But then here we see that Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus. So we saw earlier brother to brother and now friend to friend and neighbor to neighbor. Those who care will share this relationship with others. You see, the kingdom of God grows through relationships that care about each other. They came to Jesus through a simple invitation by a friend. The power of an invitation can change the course of someone's life for all of eternity. Daniel 12, 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who show others the Savior will shine for all of eternity. What an honor that is, both in this life and for all of eternity. So this week, know that God can use your invitation to, bring, to begin this journey towards salvation for someone who does not know the Lord yet. Take advantage of your relationships in the workplace to your neighbors, and even if you're taking an Uber. You know, I think taking an Uber has been one of the most um, amazing opportunities that I've had to have so many wonderful spiritual discussions. Well, one, because they have to listen to you, and two, they want a good rating, right? <laughs> so it's a win-win. But I've had so many wonderful discussions over the past several weeks, and I've invited some of these drivers to our Easter service, and what always amazes me too is so for so many of them, God has already been moving in their hearts. The most recent one that I talked to last week, uh, he used to be raised in the church, but he left it several years ago, but then his life started falling apart, and he started wondering if he should go back to church again. And that's when we were able to talk about it and invite him and say, hey, maybe that's why we're having this conversation. Maybe God wanted me here to invite you back to himself. And so he's hoping to come next weekend so you could pray for that as well. So invite the people that God has brought into your lives, realizing that God is already at work. And could it be that God placed you in their lives for a reason, to be part of their faith journey back to himself? So as you leave, take more of those candy boxes, not for yourself, right? Take these candy boxes with the Easter invitation as you leave, and you pray over it, say, God, please help me not to eat this candy. But instead, use this to bring someone into your kingdom this Easter. Amen. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. That was his invitation. Simple, sweet, but life-changing. 
And we can all say that to someone. Hey, check this out. Here's some candy. Here's an invitation to our church next weekend. Hey, I don't go to, I've never been to, hey, just come and see. Just check it out. Just check it out once. And your life may never be the same again. The power of the invitation is something that God wants to use through your life to cause someone to maybe take that one step closer to him. But Nathaniel's response is also pretty funny. So if you go back to verse 45, uh, I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. So again, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we found of him who Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Now why is he making such a big deal out of Nazareth? Because it was a small hick town, right? It was a really small, insignificant town. So basically, Nathaniel is basically surprised that the Messiah, the coming one, this almighty Savior of the world, would come from such a small town like Nazareth. So it'd be for us, you know, in, in uh, San Jose, it'd be kind of like us saying, we have found the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the promised one, who will transform this world and bring usher in the kingdom of God, and he's from Gilroy. <laughs> no offense for those from Gilroy, okay? We, I heard it's a great place to live. But for us, we've been, the Messiah, he's from Gil, what, what, Gilroy, right? The Messiah's from Gil, right? That's the feel of this right now. But there's good news even for those from Gilroy. Because it is showing us that in this example, that your background doesn't determine the blessings in your life. That your past does not equal your future in the kingdom of God. You may have come from a broken family. You may have come from dysfunctional, malfunctional families. But in the family of God, there is hope, healing, restoration, and a future that is good for all who are in Christ. That is the good news that is found through the gospel. No matter what you've done in your past, God can forgive, redeem, and use you for his glory still. That is the good news of the gospel. Anyone can be saved. It reminds me of the story of a little boy who recently got saved and he sat down at a bench in front of the church building next to an old man who looked grumpy and upset. The little boy said to him, sir, do you need to get saved like I did? The man abruptly said, I'll tell you, young man, I've been a deacon in this church for over 30 years and a chairman of the deacons for 15 years. The little boy responded, sir, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you and he can still save you. Everyone needs to hear this good news. Everyone can be saved by his grace. Everyone in our lives needs to hear this good news, that there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is a future in Christ. And those who care for the people in your life will share this good news with them. Man, what powerful words, isn't it? Spoke from an atheist to say, he respects people who share their views, their faith. And what really convicts me every time I watch this is when he says, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize, to not share the life-saving news that we claim to be true, that we claim we believe? And that's what this whole season of Easter, that's what our whole faith is about, is that there is an eternal life-saving message that we have 
a cure that we have for this disease called sin that has infected everyone, that is terminal for everyone, and yet we have the good news of the gospel that when they believe in Christ, they will be cured of that disease and forgiven forever. That is why we are called to not just know Christ, but to share Christ. And the motive for that is out of care for their souls for all of eternity. Amen? And there's one more thing. So those who know will show Christ to others. Those who care will share. Why? Why do we share? Why do we show this message? Because thirdly, those who believe will receive. Only those who hear and believe this message that we've been entrusted with of the saving message of Jesus Christ, only those who believe this message will receive saving grace. Look at verse 47 of John 1. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Right? At first it's kind of a little bit, see, I, at first it seems almost arrogant of Nathanael, right? You are a holy God, no deceit. And then he said, oh, how do you know me, man, right? Uh, but he's referring, Jesus is referring to the true heart of faith that he sees inside of him. A man who sought God through his word and trusted him in faith. Look at the next part in verse 48. Also seems a little bit strange, but Jesus answered, and Philip, before, uh, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now that seems kind of extreme, right? It's like, how do you know me? He's like, well, I saw you under a tree. You are God, right? No. Uh, the reason why is most likely that he... Uh, Nathaniel, he was there uh, having his, probably his devotional time with the Lord, and he probably picked a secluded place where he knew that it was just him and God. And he's probably having a very intimate, powerful time of dwelling with him in prayer and in his word, and you're, you know, it's one of those awesome quiet times that you're having. And so as he's leaving, and then Jesus says, I saw you when you were under that tree. When you thought it was just you and God and you're having that blessed time with the Lord, he's saying, I was there because I am God. And he realizes and he declares the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then he believes. And then verse 29, well, 49, Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And these words of Jesus uh, point us to what Jacob was probably, what uh, Nathaniel was probably reading, and that is the encounter Jacob experiences at Bethel when he sees a vision of the angels and the ladder going up and down heaven. And so he's speaking in reference to that. But in that vision, Jacob declares, oh my goodness, this is the none other than the opening of heaven. I found the gateway to heaven here. But then Jesus is saying, you're going to see something far greater. You thought Jacob found the connection between heaven and earth, and pretty soon you will see the true bridge between heaven and earth, the true connection between heaven and earth as he is about to witness the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, if you believe, you're going to receive salvation in its fullest through Christ and his death and resurrection. 
So to truly care about someone is to care about the, their eternal destiny more than social awkwardness. So we intercede for them. We invite them. We pray that they too will believe one day soon. And every year, it is only right for us as a church to be challenged to invite people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ on Resurrection Sunday. Why? As I've been doing this as a pastor for the past 25 years or so, I've always seen people come to faith on Easter Sunday because of the power of the gospel message. And a few years ago, I always remember this amazing testimony of one of my friends who she was praying for her dad for decades, for decades. And um, as he was getting older and over age, you know, she was getting more and more concerned. But just a few years ago, her father, after over 35 years of praying for him, gave his life to Christ at the age of 89. And it was a powerful reminder for us that it is never too late for anyone to come to Christ. Amen? It is never too late. Why? Because if you are alive, if they are alive, God is not finished with us yet. So this Easter, let us be the church that declares to San Jose, come and see, knowing that our simple invitation can release the power of God to begin a journey for their salvation.